The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. Hello, friends. Tired of traditional car dealerships pushing you around for five hours just to end up with a payment that's more than you can afford? They're not your friends, but you know who is your BFF? Volkswagen of Boise. They have a non-commissioned sales team that genuinely cares about your vehicle needs. Not ready to buy today? No pressure. Come back when you're ready, and they'll make the process easy and hassle-free with upfront pricing and a no-haggle philosophy. Volkswagen, engineered to buy easy. For more info, go to volkswagenofboise.com. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. Welcome to our guest, Ivan. Hi, how's it going? And welcome to my one wonderful wife, Natalie. Hello hey. again. How's it going? How's it been? How's it been? Like With you, being it's married? been so long. <laughs> it, it's great. It's always great. Uh, <laughs> really excited to talk about our... Um, our topic of choice today with COVID and everybody recovering from COVID supply chain has been affecting all sorts of industries and people of all walks of life. Insane. And one of the things that we've been hearing a lot lately is cars. What's the deal with cars being so expensive and shortages of cars, supply chain issues. And so we wanted to bring in a guest, uh, Ivan Suke with Audi (laughs) of Boise. I, uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the general sales manager out of Boise. I've been there now for six years. Uh, I started back actually in 2011 with another dealership. We had a couple brands. We had it was uh, Cadillac, Chevy, GMC, Buick, even Kia. Sort of got to cut my teeth with those brands, and I, I got to work alongside uh, really my first mentor. His name is Dave Edmark. I'm sure you've heard if you're in the Treasure Valley, Edmark. But I got to work hand-in-hand hand with him, and, and he really was showed me the ropes with everything, and I moved over to with the Chalfonts in Audi Boise, and it's it's been a really great experience. That's awesome. Yeah. Can I start by saying your radio voice <laughs> is top notch? It's amazing. I was just like, wow, wow I might need a okay. new Okay. I'm going to try not right. uh, not to just stop here and listen to you the entire time. You're <laughs> okay. easy to listen to. Cool. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. Do you hear that in sales? Oh, uh, you have a very ingratiating voice. I appreciate that. I think it probably helps. I think, you know, because in sales, like they say, like the first few seconds, even when you first meet somebody, people are immediately judging you and they're measuring where, you know, do they like you? Do they not like you? And you want to be liked. You know, the most, the, the best salesmen we have are people that are liked. Uh, it's just a fact because people want to, you know, they, before they make a big decision, they want to trust that they're making a good decision. So that's, that's a big thing in sales is be likable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And I, it's, I really wanted you to come here because, well, we just got on this conversation about uh, cars. I'm like, wow, we yeah. really need to have a podcast about that. But my last three cars have been Audi, and I've worked with you guys. And, and you have been so good at helping me, I guess, understand that whole process. Mm-hmm. And that's so that transparency is so crucial, I think, for uh, allowing people to feel comfortable with such a huge purchase. Yeah. So I felt like this was a... Uh, this was a good um, opportunity to kind of help some other people who might be looking for yeah. uh, purchasing a car in the Treasure Valley right now because it's it's confusing. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head with transparency. That's so the all way of doing business in car dealerships is is becoming obsolete now, and and because people now, especially with millennials, as soon as they get even the slightest hint of distrust or any kind of games, they just walk away. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They don't even. You know, there's the old guy that'll come in and he'll want to like have a beer and sit down and he'll want to go back and forth. Like they enjoy that. That's the, the younger generation does not have time for that. They're they're not going to do that. They're gone. And so if you don't adapt to that and change how you do business, you're just going to lose customers left and right. And there still are some stores out there that want to continue to do business that way. But you know, we're not one of them. And there's other ones out there that that also are, are like us and I think are going to be the, probably the more the more successful dealerships out there. Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, back. The way back in the 80s or even 70s, you know, the baby boomers, there there was no internet. So you had crazy big markups and, and, and people really never knew what the price of a car was. And it was just this huge game. And so in some respects, what I'm saying is that we've done this to ourselves. The industry has done this to themselves. And so we're in a revolution of sorts now because we're trying to dig out of, of that way of doing business. And so, you know, along came the 80s and it was still these, you know, people would come into a dealership 
and you'd never know what the price was. And when you'd ask the price, it was weird game, you know, it was just hide the cheese. And so what happened was a customer would come in and, and, and the salesman would say, yeah, we're $1,500 over MSRP. We're $1,500 over retail. And they just start there. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pay wholesale for your trade-in, you know, less than wholesale for your trade-in. And, and customers really had very little to come. They had nothing to combat it with. And eventually places like Kelly Blue Book, NADA, they would start making, they would publish these books, physical books that you could go buy, but most people didn't go do that. You could, and dealerships used them so that they could do, you know, how they could at least have some semblance of an idea of how to price things. But for the most part, customers had really no weapons at all uh, to combat that. And so they'd go in and, you know, it was just, it was bloody. And they would oftentimes be, they'd own a car that they were stuck in because then, you know, maybe they changed their mind a few years later and they tried to get out of it and they were buried in it with negative equity and all that. And so people kept their cars a lot longer back then. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was because of that. 90s came along, internet came, started to change a little bit. Enter the 2000s and even really the late 2000s and it started to really shift. You started seeing dealerships, instead of starting an MSRP, they'd start just a little bit over invoice. And keep in mind, when I say invoice, what I'm saying is, is that's what the car dealerships pay for the car. And a lot of times when I say that to customers, they go, that, but that's not real. That's not really invoice. That's not really what you pay. Mm, actually, it really, truly, honest to God is. It really is what we pay. They'll say, yeah, but you have holdback. Okay, yeah, some dealerships do. Now, Audi does not. Volkswagen does. Holdback, all that is merely is is a percentage. For Volkswagen, it's 2%. You take the destination fee, which is usually eight to 900 bucks. You take that off the price of the MSRP, times it by 2%. That's marketing money. And really, again, it doesn't matter. So what, what's happened in, in the, is that all of these manufacturers have said to their dealerships, well, we're going to give you a couple of different programs you guys can decide to use. Do you want to be a volume dealer? In other words, do you want to sell a lot of cars and not try to make a bunch of money off the customer, but instead sell a certain amount of cars and then we'll pay you for, for selling it? And so a lot of successful dealerships in today's world, that's what they do. They're, they've become volume dealers. They, they make money from the manufacturer, not so much from the customer. Now, they do make money from the customer in other ways, but not so much in sales, service, parts. These are places that generate revenue. Now, I'm, I'm talking about this now because it's shifting right now again because of the supply and demand. But in the last, let's just say, 10 years, it's been very much, I mean, there's been there's been times I remember doing deals where we literally would go two, three, even five grand in very slim cases. But we've done it where we've been, you know, $3,000 back of invoice. We've lost that much money. We'll say, oh, this is a loser deal. We're not, you know, we don't do this. But really, we did it because we have to hit a certain number. We hit that number. Okay, we got to our 40. Now we're going to get paid from the factory. And, and so that's a reality. Can I pause this? Yeah. Uh, let's just talk from the layman. Sure. Okay. Before we get into supply chain and all that stuff's interesting, this is awesome to understand how the behind the scenes business works on your end of Mm -hmm. the deal. So let me refresh what I've heard so far. You make deals with the factory. You buy cars from the factory. Mm -hmm. They sell you for X number of dollars and you get this car on the lot. Sometimes it's volume, you get multiple cars Mm -hmm. and you make, make deals that say, okay, well, if we sell so many cars this month, then they'll start paying you more as far as like back-end rebates and say, okay, Ivan, if you can sell, you say that you want 15 cars, but if you can sell 15, anything above 15, then we'll start giving you some rebates or deals. Did I hear that right? That's correct. Now, it's a little bit even, yes, that is that is true. We also have things in place where we get a certain percentage, like a, let's just say like a 1% per the vehicle MSRP, and, and, the, and the factory changes that monthly or yearly. They make sure that their dealers are getting paid, but again, it's what, what's critical here to understand is that we're not so much making money from the customer on the price of the car. Like, like we're not saying, oh, we bought the car for twenty thousand and we're selling it for for twenty five. We just made five grand. It's not like that anymore. That used to be, and that was called gross. That's called vehicle gross. And and so dealerships, when this when this changed, this this change started happening. They say, well, we don't want to. What they started having was realizing is that okay, if we're going to lose money on the front uh, on this car, they call it the front end front end pricing. How are we going to to make more money on the sale? And so what they would start to do is say, all right, well, we're going to make money on financing. And, and that's true. All dealerships make money on financing. And it's, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, they were allowed to hold quite a bit of points, which was called reserve, and could make a good amount of money. That upset customers. And banks also felt like it was creating kind of a, uh, a dishonest um, slate. Mm-hmm. So now what happens a lot of times is that dealers, they still get paid for financing, but they structure the loan. So just like if you walk into Idaho Central Credit Union and say, yep, I want to get an auto loan, that loan officer who structures that deal, he's going to get paid a flat for putting that deal together for you. So just a dealership gets the same thing. They set up the deal just like anybody else would. 
not not really raising rate. There's still some banks that can do that, but for the most part in this area now, they're just called flats, which means Idaho Central gives me a rate of 299. I then give the customer 299 and I get paid a you know two or three percent flat of that. Just yeah. like if you walked in for a loan officer. Same it's thing. just a fee. It's like a closing fee or some other fee. That's where you're making a little bit of yeah. revenues on structuring this deal. Yep. So if you're willing to sell cars for about the price that you bought them for, you're looking to make money in other ways. One of them is financing. Where mm. else are you making your money? Because like as a customer, I'm dubious. Uh, yeah. You can't tell me that you're running this business for such low margins. You got to right. be making money somewhere. Absolutely. Where do you make your money? Ancillary products, things like this. So, so you're going to buy the car. And, uh, let's say that I looked at, at my numbers. And I said, "Geez, okay, I'm losing a thousand dollars on this. What am I going to? Oh, I'm going to make a little bit of money here on financing. Okay, I'll make five bucks there. Then what I'm going to do is let's see what products I can sell. Now, a lot of unfortunately, some of the products in the past have been very cheap, and they were just big. They were just basically profit. They, they, they weren't even, there was no value in them. And, I, and we don't believe that. And there, it, our store doesn't. There's a lot of other stores that I think they're like us, but there's still some stores that use addendums. And what I'm going to tell you what an addendum is, and this is something that I really just don't like at all. And there's, I really wish stores wouldn't do this because it's very, very deceiving. But what they do is they, they price their car. Let's just say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say a price. Let's say they price a, a new Jetta, okay, a Volkswagen Jetta for $12,999. On, on, and they, they price it at that price. Now we have ours priced at fifteen nine nine nine. How are they that much less than us? That's crazy, right? We I mean because we price ours extremely. We we price ours oftentimes at invoice. So how are they that low? What they've done is they've added a pulse brake system, braking system, which just so you know is about a hundred bucks is what it costs. A hundred dollars. This is real stuff, guys. A hundred dollars. And what it does when you put your foot on the brake, it flashes the brakes, and it just. You probably seen them in traffic. the The rear brake light just goes boop, 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 kind of just. I whips. hate them. Yeah, well, that's I called pulse. Well, there's a lot of dealerships out there that put them on every single one of their cars. They pre-install them, whether you, like so, the brand new car comes in, whether it's bought or not, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's for dealer stock. They install it. Okay, then they turn around. They offer that Jetta for twelve nine nine nine. Then when the customer comes in, yep, I want to buy for twelve nine nine. Oh, just so you know, this has the pulse braking system. It's a three thousand dollar ad, a four thousand dollar ad, and that's like a chess piece. They get to float that around. They do that with etch, which is a, a thing that they etch into the glass so that if it gets stolen, you, know, you can locate it. They do it with other products like that, and I find that to be deplorable, honestly. It's, it's, a, it's a way to, like, secure profit and to be able to move your pricing around so that you can kind of play the game of getting a customer in there. And at the end of the day, when these customers go in, they'll move that price around to where, yeah, they're back to fifteen nine ninety nine okay. or they're Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so this is all, like— It's crazy, right? It's crazy. So I guess my thought is how— how, what are the tools that someone needs to come in to, to be prepared to, to use, mm-hmm. I guess, the correct wording for this? First of all, can you just call someone and say, are you a volume dealer? And is that, is that something people should be asking? Yeah. In the past, that was, that was something you could always ask. Uh, but nowadays, everyone's going to say they're a volume dealer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So really, you want to say the first thing you should always, if you're buying a new car. So there's a couple of tools you can use for sure. Go in and ask, can I see the the, the factory invoice? And mm-hmm. it, and it'll, you'll know if it's a real invoice because it'll have the bank's name on it. It'll have every, the car, the VIN, everything on it. You'll know it'll look like an official piece of paper. Like, it's pretty hard to, to fake those. I mean, I guess you could, but. Is that normal to ask for that? Or is that like uh, you should to look up their skirt? Can I you see know, the factory in, invoice? Who's who's going to be offended at of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some de- now here's the thing where I, I find that, and this is, I'm going to defend dealerships here for a moment because. Any other retailer out there, if you do jewelry or furniture, I mean, some of these places have a 300% markup, right? But you never see the, the Dan Rather special with the, the slimiest jeweler out there. No, you see a car dealer and he's doing the used car salesman act. I'm like, geez. And it's almost like the public and a lot of people believe, well, it, car dealers, they're not allowed to make any money. They, they can't make any profit. And so I have no problem showing my invoice. And sometimes I'll say, yep, I've got a price to $1,500 over invoice. You know, maybe it's, and, and, and that's, I'm making that. And they'll say, okay or whatever. And then there's some incentives that we can get into. But for the most part, I, I think you should be able to ask for the invoice. And okay. if they won't show it to you, that's that's not a good sign. And you should just leave, honestly, if they won't do that. Um, there's no reason why you can't see that because that really helps you understand exactly where you're at in the deal. Uh, but so this is for new cars. For new cars. Now, for used cars, I, I would definitely look at three things. Well, two things, I'd say, for now. Use your books, Kelly Blue Book and NADA. And, and you can look at those books and they can see of what they believe the car's trading value is, what their retail value is, and what the wholesale value is, what the banks will put a value on. 
they look at those things and say, okay, okay, you have you have that information, and then also look at the market, and, and you can look and see what things are buying and selling for. Like you just go on, like you know, any car guru, all these things, things like that, and, and see what. Okay, so I'm looking at a um, an 18 Highlander. Uh, what are they selling for? How many miles? Now, a lot of them have different trims, so they have different options, but it'll give you an idea of at least where it's at. So that way you you have an idea of what you should be paying. And, and it's and so just come prepared. Used cars is a little bit harder because used cars, you know, we always say uh, there's no not a used car factory. So, you know, someone will come and say, yep, I need to have a 2015 red uh, you know, Audi uh, Q7 TDI. It's got to have beige interior. I mean, I'm just like, you know, the chances of me getting that are extraordinary. That's a unicorn. Just, yeah, you, we call them unicorns. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to offend them. But, well, they use car factory just down the street. They'll pop it out here in just a moment <laughs> for you. Yeah. But, you know, so yeah, for tools, uh, for a new car, use an invoice. Uh, if it's a pre-owned car, you know, check your books, see what the market is, and, and use that as, as a gauge. Used cars is a little bit harder, though, because you never know. Maybe they put, you know, a lot of times dealerships, and especially, you know, good ones, they, they can spend quite a bit of money on reconditioning the car. They don't want to, a lot of good dealerships, the last thing we want to see when we sell a pre-owned car to somebody is have them come back a few days later. That's terrible. No one wants that. It, you know, we want to feel like, yeah, if you, if you have a bad customer experience with somebody, they're going to tell their friends, they're going to tell their family, they're not going to come back. So the best way you can handle that is to make sure you take care of them right the first time. They'll keep coming back. And it's really important you do that. So we're big believers of that. So can I zoom back out for a second? Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like you've been very honest in outlining yeah. the the current state of the relationship between the consumer and the dealers. Yeah, It's not great because yeah. everybody knows that, just like you said, this industry has been historical. I mean, historically, they've... Uh, I don't want to say taking advantage of people, but it's hard because of the lack of transparency to know that consumers getting a good deal. So we, as the buying market, we've been conditioned to know that we got to go in there and fight, yeah. and we're probably dealing with someone slamming. I love this idea of transparency to get to a better model, mm -hmm. to find a deal that works for you as the dealership and a deal that works for the for the customer too. Yeah. So that sounds like a philosophy. How many of the dealerships around here uh, subscribe to that philosophy? I mean, is it is this like an industry-wide, oh, okay, we all get it, everybody. We need to move in this better direction. Or are there still some stragglers out there? And I'm not asking you to name names, but I'm saying how prevalent is this yeah. change in philosophy and how much of it is specific to and, certain people? And how much of it also, how can we vet that? How do you mm -hmm. find out truly what a dealership's philosophy is so that we, we can come in prepared? Reviews really help you. Check okay. out the reviews. A lot of times, and I'm not looking, looking for the one-offs, because a lot of times someone, if they had one bad experience, a lot of times if you look, it's, you know, there's a one star and it's it's all about some really weird one-off situation. Mm -hmm. Don't pay any mind to that, but look, if you see a pattern, patterns will tell you everything you need to know about a store. Um, you know, time and time again, if they say, hey, they were quick with my time, they, 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 they were, you know, they didn't play games, which is huge. And a lot of those dealers that do that, so how prevalent, I would say right now, there's still, yeah, there's still some stragglers. <laughs> there, You know, there's still a lot of those owners out there that they say that, you know, gross is forever, which is how much you can make on the front of the car. And so I refuse to to do, we're going to continue to do it. This is, this is how we've made money and this is how we've been successful. And I've seen, just based on looking at the numbers from the uh, Idaho Dealer Association, that their numbers have gone down. It's not, it's not, going to help them in the long run and i think if they don't start to really change they're just going to become obsolete it's just they're going to go away so back to natalie's question how do you know i mean i can ask a, a yeah. company what, what their philosophy is but their words do not necessarily yeah. match up with actions yeah what what do we need to be looking for besides yeah. re and you reviews. mentioned uh in in past conversations you mentioned that you really have found that uh, family-owned dealerships yeah. in the treasure valley tend to have a, an interest in retaining uh, Absolutely. good relationships. I'm a big believer in that. I think family-owned dealerships um, really ha have a little bit more of a, they're a little more centered with their customer base. They they really care about their customer base for the most part, where a lot of those big corporate chains, they're big and they've got all these, you know, there's a lot of red tape and it's not as personal. It's more of a, you know, you're a number. And, and, and it doesn't mean you can't get a good deal from these stores. You can. Uh, and you know, also there are some family owned dealerships out there that also can be slimy. So it's, it's tough, I think, but I think re uh, reviews do help also word of mouth. Talk to people that, you know, that have bought in a car recently and how was their experience? You know, 
people are buying, I'll tell you this right here's an interesting fact. So in the past, I said people used to keep cars for a long time. Right now, I, I can speak for Audi. I, I don't and Volkswagen. I don't know about the other brands. I should find out. I'm curious now. But our average ownership length, how long they own the car right now, average, is 24 and a half months. What? That's it. <laughs> wow. People are only keeping cars for two, two years. years. New cars? Yeah. I'm buying a new car, and I'm only going to... Yeah. Man. That's the average, and this is over thousands of people now. And so, and I think one of the reasons that we're, we're, in, we're in the midst of, a, of a sort of this, 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 this arms race of technology, these cars are changing so dramatically so quick that people are like, wow, I've, I've, you know, when you get a brand new cell phone, it's really cool, right? It's got the coolest camera. It can do this. It can do that. All these really neat things. And then all of a sudden, a year later, you're like, wait, your camera can do what? Or your phone can do what? And it's like, and, and the value has plummeted and it's way different. And cars are a lot like that now. I know it's a big difference in price, but so we're, so people now are realizing that, and we're seeing a lot more leasing because of this now. People are like, well, yeah, you know, if I don't want to have all this depreciation, if I can just, I want to have the latest and the greatest. And so, yeah, the length of ownership is really shortened down and it's caused us to, well, Go into that. Let's talk about supply issues. So, so here's Great here's what segue. we've seen. Yes. Yeah, um, I really started to notice something about a year and a half ago, I'd say, and it was with the housing market here. I uh, I started noticing that people were saying, you know, the, the the housing market's on fire, but it's almost broken. Like it's you know, there's a shortage of inventory and and pricing's going through the roof. This and that. And I thought, wow, that really is. You know, maybe it's time to do refinance or whatever. You know, well then, it, I didn't think it would affect us at all. But then we started having the factories started saying, hey, guys, we're going to cut production or we're going to slow production down. And this is after COVID. We already had the whole shutdown with COVID, this, that, everyone did that. No, this was different. It was, we've got labor trouble where all these, and it wasn't just Audi. It was, I mean, Toyota, GM, Ford, Subaru, Honda, Nissan, all these different dealerships, or excuse me, factories and brands were struggling with, with these problems. They had um, parts shortages, um, delays at port. And that's another whole issue because if you, if you like us with Audi, we get our cars uh, across the pond. Well, they have to clear customs and they have all these weird EPA things they got to go through. So there was massive delays with that. But the factory started saying that we're, you know, we everyone knows about this. If, if they don't know, there was a massive, massive semiconductor shortage. And one of those attributed to the fire. The Reese factory just burned down to the ground. But there's more than that, though. I mean. Which fire? Like a specific fire? Was, yeah. A, a fire burned a factory down completely. That made semiconductors that yeah. had to go into cars. Yeah. And and people. And here's where I think a lot of people don't quite understand how why that was important. Okay. So they say, well, why can't this other something? I looked on. You know, I was looking on the, uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. There's like four other uh, companies that make chips. Why can't they just make them real quick? Well, they can, but you have to understand that that if you're gonna if you're a car chip company and you make chips that go in these cars that control all the airbags, the safety, everything that goes into that car, do you know how many years it takes for it to be tested to make sure that yeah, this chip is gonna be good enough to where it's gonna be able to go into a car and do everything that we say it does? And it's been tested time and time again, it's bulletproof. This chip will do everything we say. And if you are, let's say you're another chip company, you quickly put your chip in and it, and it does fail. What kind of lawsuits and issues that creates? So that's why it's 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 it, these companies that have that are that are allowed to make chips and don't have them. It's like there's not really another game in town for at least for a while. And it's so, not like a refrigerator, and if that shuts no. down, you lose some meat. Yeah, there's human <laughs> beings in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are cars that are our lives are in. But it. you're telling yeah. me that there's only a couple of these fat, of these manufacturers yep. that make these chips, like, and they go into every brand. I say this <laughs> tongue in cheek, but it sounds like the auto industry is held together with a tape and string. And don't take offense to that because I think that most businesses are. It's I think we've learned that last year. Oh now. my gosh, it's hard to do yeah. business. I mean, I've been pulling my hair out of my head. This is crazy because then they said, well. On top of that, we also have a resin shortage. A resin shortage. Oh, wait, what? Which is what they use to make plastic. Yeah. So there's a plastic shortage now. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that's going to be that an a issue. supply chain issue. Like what? Was there a resin factory that burned down? <laughs> like one of two resin factories that? I mean, even my our, my owner John, he, he they have a garage uh, company that makes uh, garage doors, and they have a, they can't get springs for the garage doors. <laughs> and I said, John, is it is it like from China or what's going on there? No, I don't think I don't I don't know. No one seems to really quit. No one with our factory, they haven't been very forthcoming with exactly what's going on other than saying we've had some labor struggles and, you know, parts problems. Mm -hmm. But the semiconductors obviously affected everybody. You know, as you said, Toyota just shut down again this week. Um, so they're probably going to be, you know, I, I know how that I feel their pain. I feel bad for them, honestly. Um, but then we have these uh, this huge demand. 
So you have this crazy cumulative effect, this, this, this perfect stars aligned storm that's happened where you've got all these consumers, especially in the Treasure Valley, guys, you've got all these people that are moving from California, moving from Texas, and they like the Treasure Valley. And this is like a little mini tech area, you know, and, and so you, you're having all these people in there. And a lot of times there's another interesting statistic that when people, when someone buys a, a home, they are uh, something like 80% likely to also purchase a car in the next three months after buying a home. We wow. see it all the time. Yeah. So, so they go hand in hand, uh, oddly. But uh, anyway, so we've, we've got these, this factory that, that in there, again, not being very forthcoming with information, we've got a, a resin shortage, we've got a chip shortage, and then they say, oh, you also have a wood shortage. A wood shortage? Well, these aren't made of, these aren't boats. How, how do we have a wood shortage? Uh, we've well, talked construction. We, we did this. Yeah, yeah. yeah lumber. Seen. What's the inlays that we, and they do, you in our Audis at least, they use real wood. It's not the fake side. It's real. Mm-hmm. But, okay. And so now they're making cars, the ones that they can make, with one key fob. So not two. You're going to eventually get the other one, they say. We don't know when. One key fob, and they're starting to remove certain options, like um, they're taking the tire pressure monitor system off cars. They're taking the foam box, which is like when you put your they got some cool technology in these cars now. But, like, you can just, you know when you, like, put your phone on, like, the, on, a, on a charger? You don't have to plug it in, but it charges, like, wirelessly. Wireless charging. Yeah. yeah. They're having to remove those. They've had to remove. Uh, now they're taking tow hitches off for some odd. Yeah, so <laughs> we have been uh, pampered by all these technological advances. Yeah. I remember the first time that I got a backup camera in a car. <laughs> right. And I thought, Psh, I don't need no freaking backup camera. Oh, I do this with the mirrors the old school oh, way. Man. Now, I'm not, if it doesn't have a backup camera, I'm not buying it. That's yeah. dumb. I'm not yeah. driving it. No. It's the technology, guys, in these cars is incredible. Like, do, does that car also have a crank to start it? <laughs> I don't need that you, either. You should see some of the stuff we have coming out. Um, I'll just let me give you a little sneak peek of something we you do you know heads-up displays guys yes okay for those that don't know it's when you look when you're driving down the road and you look in your windshield there's like a little box that's projected uh like a like a holographic box that's projected in your windshield that can show you your your speed that's in my car yeah now you you have it navigation coordinates Mm -hmm. and other information well so now audi has something that's coming out here actually this year and it's called augmented heads-up display and what it does is it interacts with the environment. I kid you not. So imagine that the entire windshield, not just that little box, the entire windshield is a heads-up display now. So, like, it'll show arrows going clear across the windshield now. And if you're going to take a – let's say you have navigational coordinates that are active and you're – oh, it says to take a right. Where where that street is on your windshield is where the arrow will actually go, saying, go here, go here, and interacts with other objects. Like, it, it's like a sci-fi – but that's really coming. So you're saying wow. that that's coming in, like, 20 years? We can coming, expect this? That's coming – fourth quarter and what that means is october november december <laughs> yeah wow. yeah so we're gonna have that and that's gonna be in our q4 so we're excited about there's that. two parts of my mind going right now one part is the 12 year old kid that saw back to the future too yeah and that's always been complaining that we haven't quite and got to hover cars yet yeah. <laughs> and now i see this and i'm like holy moly this is great yeah. the other part like i feel kind of like an old person now that you know, like our gr- grandparents, they must have been really upset whenever horses and buggies were going. Oh, for sure, out of the way. <laughs> Some yeah. of this stuff is scary. Oh yeah, to me. It, yeah. It, I mean, and the whole electric revolution that's going on right now with cars, and that, that's a big thing, by the way. And oh, can we talk about that? A little yeah, bit? let's talk about. Okay, fine. We're all over the map. Can we stick a fork in one thing? Supply chain. Okay, so I get how it affects new cars, and I get how it's a big factor that we've got such an influx of people coming into the Treasure Valley, buying houses, which now everybody's looking at our patterns or spinning patterns, and they know that we're likely going to buy a new car. Scary side note, but. How is this affecting used cars? Like, okay. like this is great something, question. Like inventory for housing, I never thought that there would be such a shortage right. nationally. That doesn't make any sense to me. Has our national population gone up so much that now we're having an invent? Like it, <laughs> everybody's just, got a car. Like everybody here has yeah. two or three cars. The average family probably mm-hmm. has two cars. How is it that we're running into a shortage of used cars? Okay, great question. I got an answer for you. So you remember how I just got done saying how uh, in the past it was dealerships made a bunch of money on the front end, you know, gross. They, they were, you know, kind of bending people over, et cetera, et cetera. And then it kind of corrected to the point where dealers were losing money a lot of the times to sell a car. What we've seen now, in the, just in the past, really the past six months, is another correction that's happened where because there's so little inventory. So because the factory is unable to make as many cars, uh, and, but people are still wanting to buy, if they can't buy cars, they can't trade cars in. And, and so what's and, and also during COVID, all of the rental car agencies, they no one was traveling. Mm-hmm. 
so they're, they almost went bankrupt. I mean, they almost went out of business. And so they had to liquidate a lot of their cars. So what they didn't liquidate all of them, but they, they slimmed down from like, let's just say that their normal fleet was, you know, a hundred percent. They went all the way down to like, you know, 20% operating at what they normally have. So that's why if you've rented a car recently, if you have, you, you see them with, oh, it's got this, you know, this uh, Kia Soul's got 80,000 miles on it. I've never had a rental with 80,000 miles on it. Mm -hmm. That's very common now because, again, they don't have hardly any cars. So normally what dealers do to get uh, cars, not just from trade-ins, is they go to the auction. Well, they, they go to the auction and they buy cars that are from these rental cars, these rental car companies. They're called program cars. So you have basically the auction has hardly no, – there's no cars there now. And the ones that are there are so crazily priced. I, I, I'm, I'm talking over MSRP of what they were when they were new. And the truck market especially is the most broken I've ever seen it ever. In fact – you know, talking to owners that have been doing this for 50 and 60 years, I've heard them say, this is, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. I probably never will see it again. Just, you know, when you, when you go to buy, let's just say a uh, 2019 Toyota Tundra and it's got 15,000 miles on it and it's priced at MSRP of what it was new. And in some cases over MSRP of what it was new, that's really hard to get your head around. Who's setting that price? The market is because there's nothing out there. And so what happens is everyone starts raising prices because they can't get them. And also if they can get them, they have to they have to spend more money to get them. So the more they have to spend, they still want to keep their margins. It just keeps going and going and going. And it's just a snowball effect. Simple supply and demand is what you're it's, telling it's me. It's supply and demand. And, and it's, uh, it's really bad for trucks. I mean, I feel bad. You know, Ford, they couldn't make anything for a long time. In fact, Ford's phased out. Ford's never going to make any more sedans anymore. You won't see Ford making any more sedans. That for, the Focus, the Taurus, Fusion, gone. That's gone. Yeah, they don't. They, you can check it out. They they they're not going to make that car anymore. Those cars. Can someone yeah. fact check this? Like I've never. Yeah. It feels I like I would have read make it a Mustang, and, but they, that's they're not making anything else. I feel like I should have heard an article about yeah. that at some point saying Ford is out of the car business. They're yeah. in the truck business. Yeah. Maybe I'm just living under a rock. Yeah. It's it's true. Check it out. Wow. wow. But uh, yeah. So. Okay, we just, we just had it. our producer yeah. fact checked it, and thank, thank you, you, Travis. Thank you, yeah, Travis. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy, but you know, at the same time, if you're if you're the CEO of Ford, you're thinking, okay, so trucks. So also, just so you understand, when I worked at uh, at Chevrolet, the truck business is a booming business. Just the accessories alone are, you know, when you buy a truck, oh, I want to get a leveling kit, I want to get the Nerf bars, I want to get. Uh, uh, brush guard. I want to get all this stuff. And a lot of times that equals four to 10 grand. It's just, it's yeah. So it's a bit. And, and you know what? Well, one thing my, my mentor, Dave Emmer told me, he goes, I like trucks. You know why I like trucks? Cause they break. doesn't matter if it's a Ram or a, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, uh, a GMC or a Ford, they break guys are, people are hard on them and they just break. So they're going to be repaired. And I would always want to sell a warranty on a truck. And I'm telling you, I've had many customers say, thank God I got that. Not to say that, you know, with the electronics in today's world, uh, some of these warranties can be really pricey. And that's when you have to, again, if you're being prepared, just just, just <laughs> shop a little bit, compare. There's a certain percentage a warranty should never be. You know, a warranty should never be 20% of the price of the car, right? That's a problem if it is. I'm not going to lie. I love trucks. And I never thought that I'd love a truck until I had a, a truck. And that's the pattern. Like, I've never heard yeah. anybody who goes from a sedan or an SUV to a truck and says, I got to get back into that Toyota, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. No, they're always like, yeah, oh, yeah, now that I've had it, it's, it's like the backup camera. It's so functional. We, we have a friend that was always driving like a regular car, and he got a kind of truck. I kind of <laughs> she's <laughs> laughing <laughs> sorry he's making this is he's making fun of his best friend right now but he got like, a kind of truck but now <laughs> he loves it and he's like oh I get it now I'm a yeah. believer in, in the in well, the truck there's so, a truck culture also that's, that's different there's not like totally a, a tourist culture right. oh, yeah. I mean there's yeah I mean I <laughs> no, wherever awesome. you drive <laughs> we we're talking about whatever truck you have and, and this yeah. is Idaho yeah so uh, so yeah. functional so All right, so what, well, what do people do then? So what we've seen, you know, obviously is that, so a lot of times factories, you've, I'm sure you've heard of incentives, rebates. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when a factory overbuilds and they make, you know, they have this glut of cars, they have to have a way to help customers, to inspire customers to buy. And so they create these incentives. Hey, here's a $3,000 incentive and here's this, this and that to go buy the car. Well, right now, most of the factories have taken all incentives away. I mean, we have very little. So now it's only on the dealer to discount if they're going to do a discount. And so we've seen 
not just ours, but most of my friends at other other uh, manufacturing, you know, dealers, they're saying, yeah, we're, this is the best we've ever had in growth. So we're making more money now. And it, we, we think this will go on for a little while, but we also anticipate there's going to be an inventory correction. And we'll probably, I think, I was hopeful it would be in October. I actually want the correction because this is, you know, I have 14 cars on my lot and I usually have 120. 14 it's it's nuts you know big huge gaps and spaces but we anticipate that uh probably by november december we'll have a correction and probably by f for sure the first of the year you'll start to see a, a price reduction now that leads me to this for folks that are wanting to buy or sell right now so there's there's two things that they can make a decision on so right now their trade-in is worth the most it'll ever be ever probably ever right now so although they're going to pay more for the car to buy, they're also getting a better – at the end of the day, a good dealership, guys, is like this. If you're trading in, look, you're going to buy a car from me, and I want a good deal on it. And you're going to buy a car from me, and you want a good deal on it, right? So in other words, your trade-in, you're going to give me a good deal on that trade-in, and I'm also going to give you a good deal on my car that I'm selling you. See what I'm saying? And that's, and that's fair. What, what, again, it's not the old dealership where he's charging way over retail, and I'm going to ask wholesale for your trade-in. And then customers start coming in saying, well, no, I'm going to I'm going to pay wholesale for your car that you're selling to me and, and you're going to pay retail for my trade in. Mm -hmm. So now it's just sort of like, let's meet in the middle. And so right now, if it, it, it's not a terrible time to buy. Selection's very low. So that that does hurt. If you're very picky, it's not going to be a good time to buy. Um, but again, if, if you're wanting to get the premium amount for your trade in, it's definitely especially if you have a truck. I mean, I've seen people that have said, I just drove my truck for the past two years for free, basically. I mean, that's that these are that's a real thing, guys. And, uh, and so also when you trade in, if you didn't lease it, you get what's called a trade tax credit in the state of Idaho, which means you get 6% of whatever that value is. So that can help you. So if you get a really strong trade number, you might, let's just say your trades were 20,000 and you're looking at a $20,000 car, you would pay no sales tax on that to make it simple. Mm. So you, yeah, so you're going to get the highest number on your trade, but again, you're probably going to pay. So th there's deals to be had still. You know, for us, our sedans actually still have incentives on them. So, you know, there are good deals to be had. Uh, again, you can't be too picky on, on inventory, but just know that eventually your trade number is going to get back to normal. And but also our pricing should get back to normal as well. So it's not like it's a it's not a double whammy. It's 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 pretty at least the good dealers out there mm. being fair about it. So I don't know, like if there happens to be a customer who's looking to buy a car for a up and coming teenage driver, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's yeah. too specific, but they <laughs> might need to wait for a little bit until things correct. Because otherwise what I'm hearing is uh, I'm not going to find a great deal anywhere, um, especially for a car that I don't need anything thing fancy. I mean, honestly, if it were, yeah. I mean, I want safety for my kids, but besides that, psh, I don't think you, not no. so much you get to find a great deal. Uh, it depends on what we consider to be a great deal because if a great deal is, yeah, I'm going to pay more for that car than I think. I think I'm overpaying for that car. Again, the market dictates what, what is a good deal, right? Mm -hmm. So if I feel like I'm paying what everyone else is paying, then I guess that's a good deal. And maybe, yes, I'm paying more for this car than I would have even a year ago, but you're also going to be getting more for your trade-in. So it's kind of like, I think the biggest thing would be is that the selection is just not going to be there, right? So you're going to have to really lower those expectations of, of, of wanting to get exactly what you want to get. So there's that. Um, it really sounds like the housing market, yeah. but with yeah. a better chance of correction. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It is off really like that, actually. So I heard within the next couple of quarters, things should kind of start to normalize just a bit. As long we as sure no hope. factories... Crossed. Like tire factories like burned down. <laughs> Don't need any more fires. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Yeah. Well, I, it, so that's incredible. And I don't know how you keep all that in your mind. That's, it, it is yeah. not as simple as I guess, uh, as I would have thought of just, you get some cars in. You Watch out for online dealers. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. So Watch we've had this that. conversation. I have never purchased a car. We've never purchased a car online and we were having a yeah. chat. I, I honestly, that's all very new to me. Yeah. And and people are kind of going that route. Um, but let's talk about that. Right. We'll so my big sister, she lives in San Diego. Um, her her husband's got a best friend. He bought a Tesla. Oh, I had to get a Tesla. It was really excited. And I, you know, cool. Uh, the reason he bought a Tesla was because I, I, he 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 detested the dealership experience. And Tesla said, "We won't give you a dealership experience. Why? You can buy." Uh, a car directly from us, uh, mm -hmm. just like you would uh, anything else really in the world. Okay. Well, and, okay, that's a neat thing that they're doing. But we've found now that after, now that we've had some time, a couple of years now, that we've, we're, we're getting a lot of Tesla trade-ins. And I'm not going to go into the Tesla cars, but I'll, I will say, though, that that model of not having a dealership definitely has 
some real faults to it. And, and when you don't have the human element, even though in today's world, when you go to the grocery store, people, you know, they want to go to the self-checkout. They don't want to have human interaction. Uh, when it's a big decision like that, especially with how these cars are changing so much and things like that, I think it's important. And so a lot of these online retailers, what they're doing is they will make these commercials, again, really just joking and, and, and making dealerships look really bad. Like they, they find, you know, the worst examples and, and they put them out there and say, you don't want that, you know, go do online. But I'm telling you, I've had a lot of personal experiences with customers that were shopping with us and then ultimately went that way and have come back and told me horror stories so much so that I had a hard time believing them, to be honest. And, and so we had one of our reps come in who, who reps, he, he's a, our warranty rep, so he reps all the brands in our Treasure Valley. And I had a really candid conversation with him. Uh, and, and he told me, Hey, listen to this. And this is what we've seen a lot recently is that let's say you're, you're Joe Schmo, you're at your, you're at your computer and you decide you want to buy a car, but you just don't want to go to a dealership, whatever you go on, you find one of these online retailers and they say, Oh, here's your trade-in. You need to send in some pictures, give us the VIN, give us the miles. And this is what we're going to give you for your trade-in. You, you do all those things that they ask of you, and eventually they, you come to an agreement. We're going to give you $15,000 for this trade-in. Yep, we're going to do it. All right, you pu you push enter. You got the green light. Let's do it. Well, they say, all right, and they send, a tow they send a transport driver to come pick up your car, and they pay for it. Great, and they whisk away your car. A few days later, they've taken the car to their terminal. You're waiting to hear back from them. They contact you, and they say, well, Joe, uh, I know we said 15000 but the market's changed a little bit, or for whatever reason, we're going to have to give you 13000 yeah, okay. No, that's not okay. We agreed on 15000 Yeah, sorry. It, it, look, you don't have to take it, but just understand that if you don't take it, you need to pay for transport to come pick this up. So you're kind of at our mercy, so you better take it. That's garbage. It's awful. It's super shady, and guys, it's happening at an alarmingly high rate, and it really, honest to God, is happening. I swear on it. Not just that. Here's what else I find odd about it. A lot of times when you, let's just say that that happened, or let's just say it didn't happen. Let's say that they came to the agreement and you're continuing your purchase with them. Let's say you've got really good credit. You bought multiple cars. Let's say you're an 800 beacon score. That's a strong credit score. And uh, you're, you're used to getting all the good um, prime rates. Prime is good out there. And on the computer, they say, all right, Joe, uh, we've got everything ready to go. You're going to get your car here in a little bit. We got your financing set up for you. That's going to be 699. Okay. Well, I just looked at my bank and it was showing 299 for, for that term. Hmm. But oddly, and this is what my rep told me, that people are doing it. And it's it just goes to show you that the power of the internet and, and that people will believe that if it's online telling you, then that's what it is and, and it must be true or, or, or that's what the best rate is right now. Versus when I have a customer come in and I have to really be, I'm telling you, so hyper transparent, showing them multiple rates, shopping it, really, really being competitive just to earn that, that, that business. And to give you a quick example, um, I, every month we do what we call lease specials. So I build a lease real quick. I put it on our website so people can, can see what a car could lease for. Recently I had one on a Q, an Audi Q3. I had a customer come in, a couple come in. Hey, we're here for that Q3 lease special. Oh guys, that car just sold. It did. However, I have another Q3. It's $800 more in price. Just a very, you know, barely just a few more options. Um, and I can do the special on that. It'll be about $9 more in payment. And they looked very confused. And they said, no, 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 we, we want the lease special that's on your website. I said, I understand that. Um, I can't give you that so much because I don't have that exact car. But again, I can give you the same structure for the most part. It'll just be $9 more. And they said, oh, well, is that, can I find that somewhere online? I'm like, guys, I, I built this. I mean, I, I can build it right now. It'll take a day to upload and I can get it on there. But again, it was the power of, because I'm telling them versus what the computer tells them, the computer must be real. It's, it's really shocking to see this. And so my point to you guys, I guess, is that if you can establish a good relationship with a dealer, it's very transparent. Listen to what they have to say. They, they, they want to earn your business. We want to. Guys, we want to have you come back. We want your friends. We want your family. We want good experiences. This, I mean, that's what we want. And so uh, a lot of these online dealers, all you are is a number. And, and really, they're, they're, they're preying on people's fears of, of the human interaction and they're getting away with some really shady antics, even though they're the ones that promote these bad commercials and stuff. So that's just my my point with online it, retail. You know, what's interesting is this this generational divide. So I, I look at my my parents, and they will believe. I was thinking the health industry, but they will believe what a doctor tells them, no matter what, and what the internet tells them is just tomfoolery or foolery, or whatever. But then solid wordplay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But then for for us in my generation. 
we're going to research and what WebMD mm-hmm. and what, you know, whatever we're going to find on these online forums, that's what we're going to take. And we're going to question our doctor. Yeah. Constantly. And, and we want a third party, right? Yes. We want somebody else telling us this. And, and that's, you can see that that's, that's, that's a frightening, um, uh, I guess issue right now is, is it's a lack of trust. Again, we need to, we need to bring those things together. Yeah, Cause we feel people have these hidden motivations. Like mm -hmm. what I I can't trust you because you you have, you know, you've got a dog in this fight, so I I have to go somewhere else. And that's really a shame. And although I can understand having that kind of caution and I think it's important, to have to, to to some degree to have that to question things, but also again to if you, if you do if you're able to make a connection with somebody that's very honest, stick with that person for the most part. They're going to help you out. They're going to be you know I think that's that's what's really missing is this this relational element you know. And there's some salesmen out there. I always joke. There's two types of salesmen. There's transactional salesmen and there's relational salesmen. So the relational salesman is the guy that wants to become best friends with somebody. And they, they, they joke about everything. They don't really talk so much about the deal. They just mm-hmm. joke all the time kind of. And eventually, you know, they get to know the, the kids' names and everything. And eventually when the, the topic of the car comes around, they kind of tiptoe around it. They don't want to ask for the sale. And so a lot of times what happens to those people is that they'll get a call. Hey, hey, Joe, uh, we got to tell you, you were the best salesman we worked with. You really, really were so awesome. We ended up buying a car somewhere else, but we just wanted you to know mm-hmm. how much we enjoy being with you. They always say in in this business that when when there's a car sold, there's a nice salesman somewhere that sheds a tear. And so I always tell my guys, you can be relational, but my favorite kind of salesman, no, let me, before I go into that, transactional salesmen are just about the deal. There's like no, they don't really, (laughs) they're so forgettable that their customers sometimes, even in the middle of the deal, will say, hey, I was working with, what's his name? Because there's no human connection. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's about the deal, the numbers, what you want. And, And some people, maybe let's say the engineering type actually appreciate that. But I find to be the best salesman, the ones that I look for, are transactional salesmen with strong relational skills. They are able to adapt. Let's make a good connection, but we're also going to keep our eye on, the, you know, it's, we're going to have an objective here and we're going to get you from point A to point B. And those are those to me, you know, uh, are the most successful It'll salesmen. It'd be hard to find, it seems like. All right. I want to use the little bit of time that we have left to talk about electric, electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. Natalie, you recently had, um, your last study was in e-tron mm-hmm. and fascinating Number one, the yeah, comfort so cool. level and the performance of these electric vehicles is pretty amazing. We Before did we go on there, can we just say one one thing, just <laughs> real fast, yeah. as we're moving into this, is that um, in the Treasure Valley, there are so many Audis. So many <laughs> yeah, Audis. Right, and yeah. We get that all the time, actually. All the time. And, and I drive an Audi. And because of what <laughs> I do in social media, I have people ask all the time, why are there so many Audis? And I guess I just didn't realize that wasn't the thing. But th- I think in other... In other cities, you might see more BMWs, more Lexus. Yeah. But um, statistically, I didn't know this. But so we we lead, yes. Yes. We, we are the, for five years running, and for Idaho registrations, Audi has been the number one premium brand. I'm not just saying that, guys, to, to it's the truth. Uh, and I, look, there's a lot of nice cars out there. A lot of times when people say they're shopping, I want to look at a BMW or a Lexus. Those are really nice cars, guys. They really are. Um, I just think for this particular area, the reason we have customers that come in and go, gosh, we're curious. We've just come in. We see so many Audis and we just want to know what they're all about. They're not previous owners. They're just curious. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And I think the Quattro system, which is their all-wheel drive system, is really second to none. And most people in the industry will tell you that they, they, they sort of pioneered that. Uh, it's it's they're, So they're incredible in the snow. And, uh, you know, th- their technology, they're just light years ahead of everybody. They're the, you know, I don't know if you know, but a lot of the cars that have the LED lights, they go around the, the headlights. Audi mm-hmm. did that years ago. And, and you know, they, they're their virtual cockpit. The, the, it's just, so they have some really cool tech in them that sort of they get first. And they're, to be honest, guys, what we hear most of the time is, gosh, they're just sexy cars. They they're look so good. And so it really helps us. I always tell my guys, let the car be the star. So, so yeah, you're right. In some other cities, Audi is second or third. But in this particular area, I think because we do get some snow and I just think um, we also have a really nice, easy process at our stores. So, yeah, Audis are, are hot. Yeah, they are <laughs> sexy. I mean, I've been driving yeah. Audis now for uh, three years. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's like that. I cannot imagine. They're not for everybody, you know. And, and really? there's Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'd like <laughs> to think they are. Yeah, some folks. And I'll tell you, there's some people that say, hey, you know, we, we really like that really floaty, sort of feathery, um, floaty feeling. And uh, I said, well, you know, guys, this might not be the right car then. Mm -hmm. What? Well, uh, go get a Lexus because that's what they're good at. They're really good at giving that feeling of just kind of floating. Mm -hmm. Audi's going to give you a little bit of feedback. It's sporty. It's Mm -hmm. it's fun. It's power. They're 
they're a power brand. They like to give you a lot of performance. And yeah, so that, you know, it's, it just, it's different strokes for different folks, different yeah. horses for different courses. Or different courses for different horses. How long can we <laughs> go with this? Yeah. So electric, electric. Back so, to the electric. Yeah. One of the fe- uh, the things that we saw, uh, this was our first electric car, is it took a little bit of work to even charge this thing up. We had to get yeah. like a special outlet installed yep. in our garage, and that was no joke um, to have to do that. Honestly, though, that was like the minor thing because once mm-hmm. we started getting the bill, I don't know that our Bill, I kept thinking that, okay, well, we're going to have an increase in electricity to offset the reduction in gas price. We barely saw it. Yeah, it was negligible. It felt incredibly efficient and cost-effective when it comes to that. So, And I drive a lot. So I drove the e-tron, and I would just charge it every night. Um, And I drive everywhere in the Treasure Valley. And so, I I mean, I was was using a full charge often. And yeah, we, we, I would, I was taking pictures of our, of our bill. I'm like, this yeah. is bare. I mean, it, it's like 20%. Right. Well, not even 20%. Like it would, you I couldn't think, even tell. No, yeah. there was yeah. it, like, oh, $30 more maybe. Um, so that was, uh, that was really cool to see. But the range was significant. Like we, yeah. we had not done our due diligence and understanding what it was going to take to take an electric vehicle. Um, long distances. We had to go to Salt Lake once. Uh, and, um, we ended up having to uh, really do some research on yeah. the road, getting to Twin Falls to figure out, well, hold on a second, yeah. charge times. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that you have to know about before you start going long Range distance. anxiety is a real thing, you guys. It, it really is. And, and uh, electric revolution is in its infant stages still. It's a little bit, it's almost a toddler now. And what we're seeing is people are very interested in them, very much so. They, they, they like the idea that, you know, one th- my wife has an electric car. And I asked her, I said, it's, we're, she's pregnant. We're about to have another baby, and 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 Congrats. thank you, thank you. <laughs> about to probably get a third row car. And she goes, "Well, is it electric?" I go, well, "Not yet." Why? You really like your car? She goes, "The number one thing I like about my electric car, number one, like for sure." And I wasn't expecting this at all. But the number one thing I wanted was, or I, that I enjoy, is that I don't have to go to the gas station. Mm-hmm. I go, what? "What? What's wrong with that?" <laughs> I don't have to like go and pull away and then get out and touch things that I don't know who's touch what and. And there's gasoline on my hands and, you know, and then I have to, you know, go and I don't want to do any of that stuff. No, I just get to go home, plug in and for her. She just plugs in about once, once a week usually because mm-hmm. so, she just bops around town. But so those are the cool things about it. What you're going, your point actually is interesting because there is a real honest to God range anxiety that is, and I've had it myself because then you're like, well, if I do want to go to Salt Lake, I kind of have to plot and plan. All right, where's the charger at? Is it a level one? Is it a level two? Is it a level yeah. three? And when I say levels, guys, what I'm saying is is that how quickly, how many kilowatts it can charge per hour. So if you're able to get, uh, so I we have level twos. At my house is a level two. And so I had an electrician come by. It was uh, honestly not very much money at all, 150 bucks for him to do it for me. Mm-hmm. And he just simply set up a receptacle with a 50 amp breaker. So it's a 240, it's a 240 volt. And so if my car's completely empty, and it, t- it takes about four and a half hours to five hours to charge to full. Okay. Mm-hmm. So really it's overnight. That's what that is. It's, and, and, and again, that gives me about 200 miles is what it gives me in range. Um, but if you're taking a trip, you know, you, you don't have to stop two or three times at, and, and if these are level ones, then you get to do it for 20 minutes. But if you're level twos, you're stopping for four and a half, five hours. That's not really ideal if you're trying to get somewhere. So eventually as cars, and we'll see this in the next five years for sure. I've already seen it. They're going to have range over probably three. They'll, they'll get to 350, but once they exceed 400 miles, guys, I, I think it's going to be such a game changer. Right now, if you purchase a, an electric car, there's a tax credit you can get. $7,500 is what ours is. That uh, is a is a federal tax credit for buying an electric car. Now, I think probably as more and more of these become popular, it's probably going to go away. So that's a nice incentive to buy an electric car right now. Um you know, so and also charge times, how long it takes to charge them is also going to have to get, you know, once they get those down to, let's just say, 20 minutes or less for every for all levels, uh, it's really is what we're going to see. Now, certain areas, though, have str- struggle with infrastructure, like Germany, for example, they, it's hard for them to make charges everywhere. So they're actually experimenting. This is true. They're experimenting with having a way. It's not on the road yet, but they're experimenting with a way to where they can charge your vehicle as you drive it and actually charge you as you drive. Like when I say charge, I mean monetarily. So, so like as the road, as the, as the wheels connect to the road, it can receive a charge like your cell, like wireless charging. It's like wireless charging. Like wireless charging while you're driving. I read it in an article yeah, about this. Making it roads like, like that. It's, yeah. so that's probably a realistic idea of the future is that. 
And so uh, I don't know if we'll see it so much in the States, but in other areas that are very space contained, that, that's a real uh, possibility. It's feasible. Okay, yeah. So who is an electric car in the Treasure Valley? Who, what, who does that work for? I mean, I know it worked for me personally because we had a second car for it's for those people. If you have a second car that's fuel that you know it's roomy, it's really for those people because then you, you're able to have a car that literally, like you said, it's negligible in the electric bill. I actually had one of my salesmen do a little a bit of research, and he contacted Idaho Power, and he talked to this other person in Sun Valley, and they got this thing pretty well pinned down to where if you charge, uh, and it's from zero, so you know, to two hundred kilowatts. If you go from from no charge to a to a full charge. At peak times, it's about $7, okay, is what it costs at peak times. But you can set up your thing so that it charges at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. And then it's about half that. So really, it's about $3 per charge. So it's about 3 bucks to drive 200 miles. That's what it is. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, drove, we drove our e-tron everywhere we went. I mean, we always chose that car. Well, and also, mm -hmm. it was an incredibly sexy bitching car. <laughs> I liked driving it any chance yeah. I get. But and they're powerful, too. People, oh, oh it's electric. It must be gutless. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, it's no, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. People no, don't know. I still sweat thinking about my driving with my wife. Wait, <laughs> shut up. Why does everyone say that? I drive normal. Yeah. But I feel like if you have a powerful car, you should, you know, yeah. drive Scare it. everybody hey, who's in amen. the car okay, with you. whatever. Well, okay. with electric cars, you got to remember that, like, even my, I have an RS5, and, and it's powerful, but it still shifts. So it goes, wah, wah. Yeah. And those little um, hesitations in the shift, it's a small, if you look at like power bands, it's a little drop in the power, right? Mm -hmm. Well, an electric car doesn't shift. So it just goes, pull. It's just yeah. one big pull. There's yeah. no shifting. And so it's really, it's, you know, you can do the $100 bill trick if you have a really powerful one where, you know, try to snatch the $100 bills as I floor it. You won't be able to get it. You'll be pinning your seat. Yeah. yeah. Some of these cars, like the GTE Tron is incredibly powerful like that. So let's spend the last couple of minutes talking about cool bells and whistles. We talked about the HUD, the heads mm -hmm. up display that's mm -hmm. coming soon. What else are we hearing is going to start coming into cars? So Not ju ju just Audis. Yep, I'm yep, yep. curious. So Tesla is really trying to, they're really trying to become like the leader in the autonomous driving, right? Them, I know they've talked about Google, but really it's Tesla that's, you know, Elon's saying out there, oh, I've, I've got a uh, concept car now that can completely drive by itself. Well, their autopilot feature is pretty cool. It still tells you to touch the steering wheel, but I do think in probably the next five to six years, we're going to, you know, even our cars right now can still go around. Uh, if you have navigational coordinates active, it'll go around uh, turns and everything and kind of follow those directions. But we're going to see, uh, I think, a pretty big change in that. And um, uh, you, you start to see cars being even more autonomous. Now, I don't really like that so much because I like to drive my car. But there's a lot of folks that come in and they specifically ask for the collision avoidance systems, the safety systems. I want a car that has that almost drives for me. And and that is something we're going to start seeing a lot more of even. And, mm. and, and yeah, and, and like I said, interacting with the environment, um, you know, having I wish you guys could see a picture, but having seeing your windshield have stuff moving all over it is kind of, you would think it's distracting, but oddly, it's not. It's um I would love to see that, like yeah. coming up on a turn and all of a sudden like the sign flashes or yeah. the road is kind of a little bit more highlighted to say that's where you're going, literally right there. Yeah. And I mean, right now we've had nice cities such as, you know, um, you can talk to your car and say, adjust climate to, you know, 72 degrees. Uh, and that's, and now some people, even when I show it to that, show that to them, they're like, oh my God, I can set my climate by that. I'm like, yeah, that's relatively old technology now, <laughs> right? But they're still blown away if they haven't been in a car in the last 10 years or five years even. So mm. um, we're seeing stuff like that. We're, they're still making cars even more powerful. <laughs> I don't know why, because you can't really drive that as much as you want. Yeah. How uh, much but power do we need, really? I know, I know. Mm. It's, it's, it's A lot. I want a lot of power. It, it's, <laughs> what are you going to use it for? You know, like, I think it's that. You see me drive, right? Scare more people? <laughs> it's the top of the food chain thing where I think people like knowing that they, that should anything ever come up where they needed to, to have it it's there brother uh, yeah and it's, <laughs> it's i know i yeah <laughs> don't take my word i'm an old fogey so oh yeah, yeah. i i love having a powerful car car and i also like to be able to talk about my powerful car with men who think they have powerful cars right. and i'm like well that's so cute let me tell you about my car but that's that's just me <laughs> yeah yeah this has been an awesome conversation. Yeah. We could talk cars forever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome. really cool. Awesome. So um, how do people get in touch with you and, like, uh, let's, like, um, if Social they, media. Where, if they want to find you, Ivan, you're a great resource yep. for information. I'm on Facebook. Where do know, they go? Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can always go to our Audi Boise's website uh, or our um, our Facebook page there. Um, 
I'm always at the store. You can always come see me there. I'm, I'm very, one thing about our store guys is it, unlike some other stores that have like what they call boxes, like where they, someone kind of goes like a cubby hole. Everything is out in the open with our store. So if you walk into Audi Boise, you'll see me sitting in my desk right there. I'm always, you know, happy to chat with someone about the market, whatever it might be. It's a, it's an ever changing market. And that's why it's kind of fun for me. It's, it, it really is getting, you know, cars in, in general are kind of part of an American thing. It's, uh, cars are very dear to us. We, you know, they're extensions of ourselves. People express through their cars. And, and one thing I, I'll just really quick, I think it's funny. I was talking to this other, this lady the other day and, and, um, we're trying to nail down this guy that she knew. And I said, Oh, is he the guy that drives the blue Mustang? And she goes, my, is this just a guy thing? But d- does every guy just know? Like, girls don't do that. We don't know. Oh, he's the one that drives that Ford Escape or whatever. We don't do that. We we, 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 we identify in other ways. I'm like, yeah, it must be a guy thing because yeah, we definitely pay attention to what people drive. Because <laughs> yeah. totally. I totally do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He drives that uh, half ton. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> whatever. Mm. But anyway, yeah, I'm super available. Love chatting about cars or anything else in life in general. But, uh, you know, I think here in the next few months, things will correct and uh, we'll be back, everything will be back to normal and and uh, we'll have some really, really cool stuff coming out in the fourth quarter that you guys should check out. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. My pleasure. Information. My pleasure. All right. Until next time. Thank you. The Boise Bevel Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Interested in buying a Volkswagen in the Treasure Valley? Head to www.volkswagenofboise.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.